Hi, this is Dan Smith, and welcome to the All Things Book Marketing Podcast. Today, we're thrilled to have Dr. Alan Zimmerman as our guest. Dr. Zimmerman is a former Smith Publicity client, and he's going to discuss a topic that will surely resonate with authors, how to de-stress, re-energize, and rebalance your life and work in a crazy, busy world. I'll read a bio of Dr. Zimmerman. He has uh, extensive accomplishments, so I'm going to try to highlight um, most of them. At the age of seven, Dr. Zimmerman was selling greeting cards door to door. By age 14, he owned a small international import business. He went on to earn a bachelor's degree from the University of Wisconsin in speech and political science, a master's degree from the University of Minnesota in communication and sociology, and a doctorate from the University of Minnesota in communication and psychology. By age 21, he was teaching at the University of Minnesota, and during the next 15 years, he was selected as the outstanding faculty member by two different universities. At age 36, Dr. Zimmerman retired from teaching and opened, opened his own speaking and training company, Zimmerman Communicare Network. He has spoken to over 1 million people in 49 states and 22 countries and maintains a 92% repeat and referral rate. Some of his many accolades include being listed in Outstanding Young Men of America, International Directory of Distinguished Leadership, Men of Achievement, and 5,000 Personalities of the World. Dr. Zimmerman was inducted into the National Speakers Association Council of Peers Award for Excellence Hall of Fame, and this is an honor reserved for only a very few handful of people, including former President Ronald Reagan, Colin Powell, Ken Blanchard, and Zig Ziglar. He's the author of several books, including The Payoff Principle, Discover the Three Secrets for Getting What You Want Out of Life and Work, which we had the pleasure of working with Dr. Zimmerman promoting. Uh, other books include Brave Questions, Building Stronger Relationships by Asking All the Right Questions, and Pivot, How One Simple Turn and Attitude Can Lead to Success. He's been extensively covered in the media, including being featured on CBS and CNN, and in numerous publications, including CEO and Business, Investors Business Daily, and many, many more. On a personal side, Dr. Zimmerman is a husband, a father, a biker, and a hiker, and he's explored everything from the jungles of Thailand to the icebergs of the Arctic Circle. Dr. Zimmerman, welcome. Thanks, Dan. It's a lot to read. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and I had to cut out a lot. You've uh, accomplished <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> I've been busy and I've been blessed. Been a great career. Yes, and I should mention to our listeners that we just uh, a week or so ago had Dr. Zimmerman. Uh, we Skyped him in for a uh, one of our a company lunch and learns, and um, he was fantastic. And the whole company, the whole office is still buzzing about the presentation he did. And um, it was just amazing. And uh, he's going to talk about some of the things today that he discussed with us. And so, Dr. Zimmerman, as we get into you know, how to de-stress, re-energize, and rebalance your life. As you know, as an author, and for the many, many um, authors we've worked over three th worked with over the years, over 3,000, um, there are particular stresses for authors. Now, there is for anyone, but authors, you know, in, in my mind, first of all, many of them, for most of them perhaps, writing is not their primary job, so they're balancing writing books with, um, fulfilling other responsibilities and, uh, and other jobs. And there's this stress of 
the competition out there because there are so many books coming out, thousands a, a month, right. and it's right. difficult to get attention. And it is just a, it can it can be a very stressful endeavor. Um, so I, I'll start off by asking you, you know, how prevalent is stress? And burnout in general, and how does that apply to authors in particular? I mentioned a few examples, but can you elaborate on that? Yeah. In general, we know the leading killer in this country is heart disease. 54% of us will die of heart disease, which is a horrible statistic. We should be one of the best countries in the world, and we're far from that. And the best predictor of heart disease is a life that's totally stressed out and out of balance. That's the generic general answer. Applying more to authors, I think we have even more things that stress us out than an average profession. Uh, one is self-doubt. If we're not an accomplished, experienced author that sold millions of books, there's going to be a lot of self-doubt. Will it be read? Will it sell? Will it be good enough? I think we also have the stress of perfectionism. Uh, so many people think if I can't write perfectly, why write at all? And uh, that perfectionism can be a killer. And we also know that we're putting our stuff out there for the public to be judged. And uh, nobody likes to be judged. Positively, yes, but certainly we're open to more negative judgment when we put our words, thoughts, feelings, beliefs into print. And so I think those three steps make it even more difficult for authors. Yeah, you you touched upon something that is is – is so true, and we, we often talk about, and we, we have a company video where we, um, a number of us talk about uh, how uh, dealing with authors, and one of, one of the um, things in particular we mentioned is what you just said is, and I always say I have, you know, authors are our heroes, and, and they have, uh, you know, are so brave, as you said, to, to put themselves out there and because that's a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many people, books can, are such a personal endeavor and, you know, to get, to get a bad review, which almost everybody gets and, right. you know, to put yourself, yourself out there to be judged. It's so true. And it's so admirable that authors do that. Yeah, it takes courage, but I admire authors because there's a passion, something that they believe the world needs to know, so hang on to the passion. Absolutely. Um, and I, you advocate an eight-dimensional approach to getting um, more in balance with work and life, and can you explain what, what you mean by that? Yeah, most authors, like you said, may have another job in addition to writing, And in a lot of companies over the years, we used to give people stress workshops. We thought if there were less stress as employees, they'd be more productive. And our latest research says that's a bit narrow. In other words, when a person has stress, it doesn't just show up in their job. It shows up in all parts of their life. And so I use a pie chart to illustrate what work-life balance is all about. And if they can imagine our listeners a pie chart with eight slices. Every slice is a dimension of life. I'll just say them quickly. Uh, Physical, recreational, financial, occupational, relational, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And to have really great work-life balance. I tell people you've got to have something positive in every one of those dimensions in your life. 
something positive, something working. To work on one or two dimensions like your occupation and forget relationships, not balance. To have a job where you make a lot of money but hate, not balance. Got to have something positive in every dimension of life. So that's my overall approach. Eight dimensions, make sure you do something for every one of them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense in in um, in, in terms of you know being having balance in one area but being completely imbalanced uh, in another area. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but probably it imagine it takes a lot of um, work, for lack of a better term, um, to achieve that balance. So let's talk about the first dimension, uh, the physical. Can you tell uh, explain a strategy we could use and authors could use? Um, that can make a positive difference right now in uh, a physical sense? Yeah, a couple quick things. Uh, our bodies are communicators, and they will tell you if you're off balance. Some people will get headaches. They'll get upset stomachs. They can't sleep. They eat junk food. All of those signs are saying you've got some stress in your life. And if you pay attention to the signs of distress, can often avoid disease. So listen to your body. But a second thing, and that is, we're using our minds, obviously, our creativity when we're writing. But are you fueling your body to make yourself as productive as possible? I don't want to be a health food fanatic on this program, but I call them the fearful four. If you need to be at your best, your sharpest, be careful of putting these four foods in your body. And that would be sugar, caffeine, salt, and fat. Those four foods have been proven to actually make you feel more sluggish and be less mentally alert. So you need to be writing, being at your best. Be careful having too much of those foods at, at those creative writing times. That's, that's interesting. So the, the one that um, surprises me is most people think caffeine will give you that 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 jump in and push in energy and wake you up and get your motor running, but that's not true? Well, you can get a little bit of a charge, a bit of an alertness, but not necessarily a sharpness. And for some people, uh, a little bit jittery, a little bit unfocused. And so, yeah, enjoy your cup in the morning if you want, your Coke, whatever. But when you're trying to really produce stuff, be careful of that. It, it's kind of like if you... And you have too much caffeine and it kind of make you, as you alluded to, kind of hyper and, and not uh, focused enough. And a little, Exactly. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Exactly. Uh, the second dimension of the balance of, of that pie chart is recreational. And, and that sounds simple enough, uh, being having a recreational balance. Um, but w- what do you mean by that in terms of the work-life balance? Well, recreation really comes from the words recreation. After you're done doing something, you feel recreated, re-energized, less stressed. Uh, if you go home at the end of the day's work and decide to watch 30-minute sitcom and you feel relaxed and you get up and kind of feel energized again, great. But if you sit down for 30 minutes, have a bunch of junk food and end up sitting there for three hours and get up and feeling, wasted my time, how stupid of me, that will not recreate, re-energize you. And one of the simple ways to recreate yourself is to force yourself to take some breaks. Uh, People, we have deadlines in this business. We have things we have to accomplish, so many pages and so many days. But uh, 
for most of us, we need a break once in a while. And people talk, I don't have time for a break. I'm too busy. Maybe a good sign you really need one right now. That might be as simple as getting up from your computer and taking 10 minutes outside and breathing some fresh air. It may be putting a day in your calendar uh, when you're going to really recreate, re-energize. I don't think it's possible to have a totally balanced life every day or even every week. Sometimes we have to really super work hard on a certain day to meet a deadline for a whole week. But you can balance a month. Look at a larger time frame and put it on your calendar. I've learned that if you don't put it on your calendar, like taking a walk and seeing some friends, it typically doesn't happen. We get so busy, so distracted, so overwhelmed that the stuff we need to re-energize ourselves uh, doesn't happen. So make sure you're getting some breaks to keep yourself sharp. That makes perfect sense. Um, the third dimension is financial. And, you know, while we're not a, certainly not a podcast that gives out financial advice, um, you're a strong believer that there's definitely a financial component to stress and balance. And then that, that's an interesting topic. Anytime you get into the finances of people, it's, it's, and it can also, I know it can be a very stressful thing for couples and so forth. Can you elaborate on the financial component to the balancing stress um, in your life? Absolutely. Uh, I, was a, I was a former professor, as you mentioned before, and we as professors have researched Marriage relationships, for example, for close to 50 years. There have been thousands of studies as to what makes a marriage work, what makes it fall apart. And everyone says the same thing, that the leading killer of a marriage or a significant relationship is money. And people will ignore that, and they'll say something silly like, well, we're in love. Ignore the advice of what I call living beneath your means, handling your finances appropriately spend beyond their means and all the stress that comes with that. It may be our budget and publicity. It may be the way we buy certain items. But the advice is simply live beneath your means. And a slogan I use, it's not the high cost of living that causes stress. It's the cost of living high. There are some great books out there that talk about that. The richest people don't live ostentatious lives that are noticeably rich. They manage it well, live beneath their means. Uh, and I would tell people this. Every day you make all kinds of decisions, from buying a Starbucks coffee on the way to work to buying a certain item at Macy's. Every decision will give you either peace of mind or stress of mind. Take five seconds before you buy something, before you make a financial decision. Ask, will that decision give me peace or give me stress? That, yeah, that, again, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things it reminds me of is when we are dealing with prospective clients who contact us and we're speaking with them, and it's a very consultative process when we're potentially bringing someone on board as a client. And if, if, if an author tells us that, you know, they – well, to afford you, we need to, you know, I'm going to have to get a second mortgage or cash in my retirement. We, we say, no, 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 don't yeah. do that. You know, we, we don't want anybody to do that. And, and it's, it's, we want them to, when it comes to our services, we want to them, want them to invest within their means so it doesn't create other problems. And that's so ethical, Dan. I just admire that's one reason I worked with you. 
Uh, not all publicists take that approach. Uh, their approach may be whatever I can get, I will sell and uh, see how my admiration for taking that approach. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, on to the fourth dimension, occupational. Um, as we talked about early, most of us or most authors are, are um, part-time authors. Um, and the, there are certainly some full-time ones who are fortunate enough to make a living from writing. What advice do you have that would take some of the stress out of um, the job of an author and or, the, or, the, or balancing with their full-time job? Well, some of these tips may be redundant because authors may have heard these things before, but I'll tell you what works for me. Uh, in addition to writing five books, I published 964 articles. I write an article every week that goes out to my followers of about 150,000 people. And a couple, three things that work for me to keep things in balance. First of all, I make myself write something, whether it's every day or every week. I don't let my feelings come into it and say, I don't feel like it. I would tell authors, your feelings get a voice in your writing, but not a veto. If it's something you have to do, you make a commitment, you do it. Don't let your feelings control that. But secondly, for me, I have a lot of authors say they need to find an inspirational place to write. And that may be true for them. For me, it's been finding a place with no distractions. I've literally written a lot of my stuff in a public library. I go to the very back of the library with a table facing the wall where I can't see anybody walking by. I can't see any of the books. There are no distractions. Just a blank wall, and there's nothing to do except write. That works for me. And uh, I know for a lot of people, it's putting a time to write. Maybe it's a certain day of the week or a certain time of the day that they discipline themselves. I'm going to spend 30 minutes, one hour, two hours, and watch yourself. If you're creative, want to write longer, fine. Uh, but discipline yourself to do those things. Being self-employed as a speaker and an author, my wife is our general manager. She's had to help with this. On occasion, she's said to me, five o'clock, the office is closed. You're now my husband. You're not my business partner. And to put those limits on when the occupation stops for that day and the relationship picks up again. Yeah, that, that's interesting. My uh, my wife Sandy, who's also the president of the company, uh, we just uh, literally two two days ago were saying, you know, and because of smartphones now, your emails are constantly at your disposal anytime, anywhere, and we had to, you know, because we work together, and yes. then when we come home together, we were talking about making a rule. Okay, after seven p.m., we are not looking at our work emails. You know that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, we found it to be critical because when you work together, you can talk about your business all day and all night long. And forget yes. this is your partner in life, not just your partner in business. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. And and that's something, you know, after, you know, uh, years now, we're, we're still trying to figure that out because we know it's not. We, you're exactly right. We could talk about our business 24-7. It's just it's yeah, not yeah. healthy. Yeah, uh, so true. So the, the, on to the fifth dimension, which is relational. Um, and I think I certainly know what you mean with that. Nothing seems 
to bring more stress to a bad relationship, and nothing relieves more stress than a good relationship. Um, and I know we touched upon parts of this, and I know we could have a full-day course on the importance of uh, relations. What is one strategy we and, and authors or anyone can use as it relates uh, to the balance questions and relations? Well, you mentioned earlier, Dan, about the courage of authors putting themselves out there for rejection or criticism, things like that. And I put people into two categories. They're either toxic or nourishing. Certainly spend more time with the nourishing people. Toxic are the ones that no matter what you do, they can always pick, gripe, complain, find something wrong. It's the person that calls you four times a week and whines about this or complains about that, but they never do anything to fix their life or their problem. They're just dumping their garbage in your backyard. And two things I suggest. First of all, if you got negative folks in your personal life, professional life, be careful because if you don't release them, avoid them in some way, you'll start resembling them. We found out in the research, you can put five positive folks in a room having a meeting, have one negative person join the meeting, start griping about something, and everybody else, almost all of us, joins in it with their own gripe about something. So avoid the negative people. And if you're stuck with them, you must live with them, you must work with them, then apply creative neglect. It may be the person that calls you three times a week and they're complaining about something but they never change, as I mentioned before. You might have to say something as simple as, really sorry to hear that. I do wish you the best, you know that. Busy right now, have to run, talk to you soon, bye-bye. You do that a few times, and they will learn that they will stop dumping their negativity on you. On the other hand, when they're positive, they're praising your work, they're talking about an accomplishment, something they're doing, you reinforce that. Great to hear. That's wonderful. Keep it up. You teach them to speak more positively, and you'll give less reinforcement for the negative talk. If you're in a cafeteria and people are all complaining about something, you may have to say, excuse me, uh, <laughs> having a challenging day, and I just need not to get involved in a, <laughs> a downbeat conversation. Let's get together some other time. Creative neglect. A couple of things that I find help a lot in relationships. Right, and, and this, this leads into the next dimension, mental. But in, in mental, I know we're talking, you know, moving from relations into our own mental approach. And um, I know we ex just exchange in emails uh, uh, something that we have in common is a, is a real, we try to adhere to positive thinking. And we both uh, mentioned that we were kind of followers and readers of Dr. Vincent Nor uh, Norman Vincent Peale and the power of positive thinking. And, and And I know, I'll let you talk about it, of course, but I know that about two years ago, I started, you know, implementing a, the power of positive thinking in, in my own life and in work. And, and it has been amazing the difference it has made. And, you know, there's some elements that you know that can seem simple, but it, it, it takes a lot of work. And, you know, one of the, one of the things, and then I'll let you discuss it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, is in one of Dr. Uh, Peel's books, there was a, a simple challenge saying for the next 24 hours, um, anything that happens to you, you know, put a positive spin on it and, and make something positive out of it. And it literally means anything, anybody yes. you run into, anybody who says anything. And that is exceedingly difficult to do, but it's a great exercise. 
Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on positive thinking and, and about the, um, from your vast experience. And I, you even said you saw Dr. Peel speak and, and in your practice and your, and speaking. And what do you focus on with this wonderful world of positive thinking? Well, you made a good point about Dr. Peel's challenge. And I will tell people in my seminars, for example, if you can't go 24 hours without a cigarette, you're addicted to nicotine. If you can't go 24 hours without a drink, you're addicted to alcohol. And if you can't go 24 hours without thinking some negative thoughts, you're addicted to negativity. And people kind of are taken back by that, but I believe it's true. And people say, well, how do you know if you're addicted to negativity or not? Well, that's one way. But a second way is this. I was on the CBS Morning Show a while ago, and the interviewer asked me, how do you know if you're addicted to negativity? And my response was this. Look at your first reaction to any bit of news you get. If, for example, you go to your desk and you see a note from your boss that says, see me immediately, what is your first reaction? If your first reaction is, oh, the race is coming early this year, <laughs> that's great. But 85% expect the negative, like, what did I do wrong this time? Your kid comes back from school with a note from the teacher and says, I suggest a conference as soon as possible. What's your first reaction? For most people, what do you do? So look at yourself, see if you're addicted to the negative. Second thing I suggest, and we did this in the webinar, the program with your people live, is be careful of using mind binders. And a mind binder is a negative comment you tell yourself over and over again. It might be, I can't make that cold call. I can't get going without coffee in the morning. I can't close that sale. I can't write that chapter. I can't give a speech. I can't deal with that person. And you're right. As long as you think that way, you'll never have success in those areas. So first of all, stop saying them. But if you accidentally do think them or say them, immediately neutralize it. If I tell myself something negative, I'll say, Alan, now stop it. Just stop it. Or I might say, cancel, cancel, to neutralize that negativity. And you saw the exercise in the program I did with your people where I had them literally tell themselves negative mind binders, test their arm strength before and after, yeah. test strong before, 10, 15 seconds of negative comments, and right away their arms come down. You literally destroy your own energy when you think negatively. That is so true. And, and one of the... I mean, we could have maybe in the future we could have another podcast just on, on positive thinking. But, you know, it's just one example in, in our business and something I started implementing is when, when inevitably in any, anybody's business or life, there's, there's going to be problems. And if we have a situation where sometimes, unfortunately, it doesn't happen often, but a client is upset and says, uh, it bumps up to me and says, I want to have a call with you right away. I'm disappointed in results. And again, fortunately, this doesn't happen, but it does happen sometimes. Sure. And I tell my team before we get on that call, you know, the reaction used to be from me on down is like, oh, geez, you know, what are we going to do? This is going to be terrible. And, and you know, uh, let's just get this call over with. And we've changed that mindset to saying, going into it saying, okay, we have a problem. Let's work the problem. And, you know, find a way to, you know, affirmatively and positively address the problem. And it uh, it really makes a difference. 
Yeah, I look at it as a, a complaint, as a gift, that they're giving me a chance to fix the problem and keep the relationship going. It's a free consulting service. Exactly. And, and, and our biggest problems occur when, when a client does not express disappointment along the way. Yeah, it goes to some yeah, go ahead. else or prints all kinds of negative things about you. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, just, and again, it doesn't happen often, but a few times, five months after a campaign, someone will write a negative review online about us and, and the results, whereas during the campaign, they never expressed any problems yeah. at all. Yeah. And I reach out to them. I say, why didn't you just pick up the phone and call me? You know, right. And we right. would have talked about it and we would have found a way to, to positively address your concerns. And it's, it's just an interesting human phenomenon. And, and it's just, it really goes toward communication. If you're upset, if you're disappointed, just communicate. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, on to the seventh dimensional, um, emotional. And in your writings and your workshops, you teach uh, numerous strategies for better emotional health. Can you give us uh, in the audience a quick and easy tool we can use right now? Yeah. Uh, my favorite is simply this. Do the most important things. There's not time for everything. Our to-do lists are always longer than the possible time allowed. Do the most important. And people say, well, how do I know what's most important? I have my book to write. I have my publicity campaign. I have my husband. I have my wife. I have my kids. I have my church. I have my temple. Uh, I have an exercise program. And yes, of course, they're all important. So how do you know what's most important? Ask yourself, first of all, this question. If I had just six months left to live, would I be living my life the way I'm living it now? If the answer is you wouldn't change, very much. Good sign, you've got good work-life balance working for you. But if your answer is, by the dying six months, heavens, <laughs> I'd quit uh, this job, I'd go and see this person, I would do that. If your life would change dramatically, then my second question is, what makes you think you got six months? And I tell people, I'm not trying to be morbid, I'm not saying quit our jobs, quit writing your book, simply Realize there's not time for everything. Are you doing the most important? Is it more important to dust your coffee table or play with the kids for 30 minutes on the floor beneath the coffee table? Don't major in the minors. It's one of the, the, the most effective strategies people can use. Yeah, and, and I think there's, I know there's a a saying or an adage that, you know, if if I... You know, if my son's asking me to, you know, throw the ball with him for an hour and I say, you know, and sometimes you just are going to be too busy, but other times, right. you know, I just say, you know, no, no, I, I, I've got to get back to work and I can't do it. And I think the saying is, you know, when, when I'm on my deathbed, am I going to say, geez, I wish I would have put another hour into work or would I say, <laughs> I'm glad I spent an hour playing with my son? Yeah, that's so right. Uh, I think my oldest daughter hundreds of times when she was a little kid she'd say dad 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 and I'd say just a minute just a minute I'm busy and she'd say dad 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 and I'd put her off for 10 minutes or two hours or whatever and I look back at that and I can't think of one single thing that I put her off for that was so critical <laughs> but I still remember her asking me to deny uh, so <laughs> probably what I was putting her off for wasn't all that important right right it's it's very true very true um 
And, you know, finally, your eighth dimension, which refers to spirituality and the spiritual aspect of, of work and life balance. And, you know, I know the word spiritual uh, can absolutely turn some people off. When we're promoting a spiritually oriented book, it can turn media off and they don't want to touch it and so forth. Um, and other people get very excited about it. And so, so how, how does uh, spirituality relate into this work-life balance um, pie chart that you have? It comes down to one word, values. Not looking at religiosity or denominations, those kinds of things, but values. And I ask people a couple of questions. First one, do you know what you really, really, really love? In other words, what's most important to you? What's second most important to you? What are your values? Because if you don't know what you love, you don't know your values, the only other alternative is to settle for less, and that will burn you out. got to know what's important. And some folks never quite figure out their values until, as you said, it's too late. <laughs> They're on their deathbed. And secondly, once you know what you love, once you know your values, are you living by your values? One of the quickest ways that authors or anybody else can bring stress into their life is profess a set of values and not live accordingly. I can't say, for example, I tried this. I, I couldn't say that my kids were important to me, but I was too busy traveling across the country speaking, never see them. Couldn't say one thing, live another way, and expect to have peace of mind or self-respect. I can't say that my writing is so important that I never have time to date my wife and feel good about myself. Got to know what you love, live by what value. And people will say, well, how do you know if you're doing that? It really is an issue of integrity. That's what I see as spirituality. It's integrity. And the way you know if you're walking your talk is look at your investments. When you're on earth, you only have three investments you can make. Time, money, energy. That's it. And people can talk a nice game. But where they invest those three things will find their real values. Uh, when I talk to CEOs, oftentimes I'll, they're working 80, 100 hours a week. I'll say, you're killing yourself. Why are you working so hard? And they'll say, well, we're working for my kids. Well, my kids are better than I get it. And then I will challenge them that the average male executive spends no more than 14 minutes a week talking with, interacting with, playing with his kids. And my challenge is, don't tell me you're working for the kids and they get 14 minutes of your time. No research anywhere that backs that up. Or it might be looking at your checkbook. Some people believe in a certain church or belong to a certain kind of faith, and they go to a meeting. They can't say they believe in their church and give a dollar a week. That's a contradiction of values. You can't say that your physical health is important, but you eat junk food and never exercise. That's not integrity. Got to know what you love, got to live by what you value. And you have integrity or real spirituality. That's terrific. And, and again, it, it, you know, these um, eight aspects that you talk about, um, you know, rounding off the spiritual is so important. And, and we could we could have a two hour conversation about all yeah, this. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, this has been wonderful advice, and, and I'm and I'm sure that uh, very confident that, that this episode of our podcast is going to be one of our most popular. Um, so, Dr. Zimmerman, can you tell us about how uh, people can reach out to you and learn about your writings, your programs, your newsletter, etc.? Yeah, very simple. Uh, my website is drzimmerman.com. That's D-R for doctor. 
And my last name is Zimmerman, Z-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N, drzimmerman.com. And there they'll find uh, all the books, the audio recordings, the webinars, programs I speak to the public about. But I would encourage them to sign up for my Tuesday tip. It's my newsletter I've been writing, as I said, for almost 20 years, 960-some issues. They're all available, free of charge, and become one of our thousands of subscribers. It's, it's good stuff. They'll love it. Terrific. And um, from our end, as for our audience, to get in touch with Smith Publicity, you can visit our, our website at smithpublicity.com. And, of course, on social media, Twitter, at Smith Publicity, and Facebook, and all those wonderful platforms. Uh, Dr. Zimmerman, thank you so much. This has been outstanding, and I very much appreciate your time. I've enjoyed this. So thanks a lot, Dan, and best to everybody listening. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Smith Publicity. All Things Book Marketing Podcast. To reach us and learn about our many book marketing services, visit www.smithpublicity.com or send us an email to info at smithpublicity.com.